all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Special tech season edition. Oh my god. <laughs> I have I've lost track of the number of times I've crashed and burned so far this tax season. I haven't. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> what I'll, am I up to? I, I'm not gonna tell you until, <laughs> until it's all over with. <laughs> or I might not tell you at all, I'll just keep it in a log and see what happens next year. Oh geez. <laughs> see if it's gotten worse or better. Oh god. Follow us Insta Twitter, Facebook at all bad things pod, email us all bad things pod at gmail dot com. Uh, join our Facebook group and Discord. Yes. And leave all the messages you can on Discord. I guess. If that's sure. how it works. Sure. <laughs> yup. So. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> this will be fun. <laughs> yes. So what are you drinking? I am drinking. It is a deep river deep beverage. River. Mango Tango Foxtrot. Yes. IPA. Kind of don't care what it is right now. <laughs> the booze. <laughs> yep. May I, may I try again? Yes. What are you drinking? I'm just having a national local beer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a sip of this Mango Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> if I sound... It oh, is good. Is it? Yeah. It's good. If I sound congested... It's not congestion. It's it's just from having wept. <laughs> <laughs> because things are getting real. Shit's real right now in tax season land. So um, be kind to your accountant. We're struggling. <laughs> or if you don't have an accountant, just be kind to somebody. People you... in general. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Who knew that tax season during a pandemic would be tough? I don't think anybody did. Mm-mm. Not at all. Not at all. All right, I have no banter in me. How about you? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. You're just on this here one. for the story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Listener research time. Yes. Listener research alert. Yes, this is <laughs> alert meaning we're we're finally doing it. Yes. Um this is from Leanne. Oh, okay. Who is an active member of most of our social media. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you kindly Leanne, very much. I have not read this, of course I haven't. We'll all be learning about this together. Yes. So this is the oh, hopefully my hopefully <laughs> I'll get less congested as it goes on. Probably. Um this is the story of TWA Flight 800. Mm. So we're going mm. good old air disasters. So again, this is Leanne's script. So when I read it, it's in, it's Leanne saying this, right? <laughs> okay. This disaster I've been fascinated by since I saw it break on the local news station. So I did a very deep dive on this, hopefully answering most people's questions about it and putting other myths to rest. Let me know if you have any questions on this. 
hopefully I don't win because I didn't read it <laughs> prior to now. <laughs> and I and I hope this isn't one of those because uh, obviously it's an airline disaster, one that leaves many questions. Yeah, right, like a, a mystery. Yeah, because that happens somewhat often. Like, yeah, it does. Trans World Airlines or TWA Flight 800 was a Boeing 747 that exploded and crashed into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Long Island, New York, on July 17, 1996, killing hmm. all 230 people on board. Wow, I guess I don't remember this. I don't specifically either, but I would July have July 1996, uh-huh. I was 19. Mm. It is the third deadliest aviation disaster in U.S. history, and the ensuing investigation was one of the most extensive, complex, and costly air disaster investigations in U.S. history. See, the re- I almost gave this off to you to read, like, I can't, I can't read tonight or whatever, but I was like, it's better for me to be trying to concentrate and read something. Also, I have to remember that no matter how poorly tax season turns out, I'm not dead in the Atlantic Ocean off Long Island, New York. That is true. So there's that. Today, anyway. Yeah, yeah, for now. (laughs) For the moment. Get back to me on April 15th. I don't know. All right, so geography corner. Long Island is an island in the southeastern part of New York State and is located in the northeastern United States. It is the longest and largest island in the continuous United States. I didn't know that. That's surprising. It's pretty big. It makes sense. Extending 118 miles or 190 kilometers eastward from New York Harbor to Montauk Point with a maximum north to south distance of 23 miles or 37 kilometers between Long Island Sound and the Atlantic Ocean. According to a 2019 census estimation, over 7.6 million people live on Long Island mm-hmm. alone. Oh, yes. wow. Making it the 18th most populous island in the world. It is <laughs> sad that we have just one little tissue. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like <laughs> pulling behind back the curtain here. <laughs> anyway. Ah, uh, da da da. It's the 18th most populous island in the world. It is made up of four counties. Kings County, Queens County, Nassau County, and Suffolk County. I was just going to say, I know Nassau is one of them. Yeah. I I didn't realize there was a Kings County and a Queens County. That's cute. How about that? A Prince County and a Princess County. There probably is somewhere. Maybe. (laughs) Kings and Queens Counties are also... that, That was just a cool turn of phrase, are also the New York City boroughs of Brooklyn and Queens and are the two most populated boroughs with a combined population of 4.7 million. I guess I didn't think about it, but yeah, Brooklyn and Queens are on Long Island. Mm -hmm. I I didn't put that together. Most people in the New York metropolitan area colloquially use the term Long Island or Long Island, Mm -hmm. right, to refer exclusively to Nassau and Suffolk counties. That makes sense. Yeah, that's what I think of it as, as the borough of Long Island more than the island of Long Island. And there are plenty of people that I've met that are from Long Island, and I've known a few people that are also from Long Island, and they're, they're like, you can't just say, oh, oh, I know somebody from Long Island. They're like, where? They're like, <laughs> where in Long, like, Long Island? Where in like, Long it's Island? It's not like a neighborhood. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, who of the 7.6 million people are you yeah. referring to? Yeah, and, and where? Mm-hmm. I have been on the Long Island Railroad. I don't think I have. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been to Long Island. Really? To fly yeah. into, I think, because I think that's uh, what airport do you think? Is I, not a uh, not JFK. LaGuardia. I think that's I think that's it's in Queens, right? Is it? I thought it was Long Island. Anyway, 
before we get too sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> All right, history. Actually, right, it is in Queens because you can see City Field from that airport. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say yeah. where the Mets That's played, right. right? All right, so history corner. So far as we know, before the arrival of Europeans, 13 Native American tribes lived on Long Island. Canarsie. Oh, I didn't know that was a... I've heard of Canarsie, but I didn't know that was a tribe. Rockaway. Uh, Matinecock. Merrick. Massapequa. Nisicoke? Sure. Uh, Secatoag. (laughs) Apologies, I did not pre-read this clearly. What did you call me? (laughs) Setauket. Patchwag. Korchog. Shinnecock. Maybe I should not have been... Shinnecock? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Manhasset and Montauk. They are mostly farmers, hunters, and fishermen who used canoes as transportation. The first known European to have contact with them was Giovanni de Verrazzano in 1524 of the bridge, the Verrazzano Narrow Bridge. Mm-hmm. In 1609, the 16, uh, oh wait, in 1609, English navigator Henry Hudson explored the area, and in 1615, Dutch captain Adrian Block sailed through. Oh, H- Henry Hudson of the Hudson Bay, I guess. I'm good, I guess so. Hudson River. Yeah. Throughout the 1600s, the European settlers began purchasing land from the local indigenous people, and for a while they lived together amicably. Isn't that how it always <laughs> For <goes>? a while. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> for some reason. Kind of worked out. For some reason it never stays that mm-hmm. way. I'm wondering who's mostly at fault for that. This all changed. <laughs> However, in 1675, when the King Philip's War broke out between Native American tribes and European colon- colonists or colonialists, in New England. This caused the English governor of New York to become paranoid that the local indigenous people on Long Island would try and help their allies, so he confiscated their canoes. (laughs) Just to appease them. Yeah. Feeling out of place both culturally and religiously, many of the indigenous people moved down to what is now Delaware and Pennsylvania. Many of those who stayed behind ended up dying of smallpox. During the American Revolution, New York and especially Long Island were big British strongholds, and it was during the Battle of Long Island in August of 1776 that George Washington was defeated and almost captured by British General William Howe. New York remained a British stronghold till the war ended in 1783. Yeah, what uh, what history books don't tell you about George Washington is was really that great of a general. <laughs> really? He lost more than he won <laughs> in the battles that he led. I think his record is like 6 and 10. Yeah. Well, then he technically like, won more than he lost. He's, he's like the... Uh, oh, no, no six no. and... Uh, I yeah. thought you meant six of ten. Yeah. Six and ten. Gotcha. Yeah, he's like the 2000s Buffalo Bills. Just, like, <laughs> just, just average, but not, not terrible enough to bring in somebody new. Uh, through most of the 1800s, Long Island was mainly rural and devoted to agriculture. A few railroads were built in the 1830s and 40s, later being absorbed into the Long Island Railroad, and the Brooklyn Bridge was completed in 1883, connecting Long Island to Manhattan. Brooklyn and Queens were consolidated into New York City in 1897 and 1898 by referendum vote in the New York State Legislature in 1894. By the end of the 19th century, wealthy industrialists from New York City began buying property on the north shore of Long Island and built huge estates facing the Long Island Sound, earning the, earning the area the nickname the Gold Coast. This time period was immortalized in F. Scott Fitzgerald's 1925 novel. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote? See, I'm, I'm completely thinking of another book. 
And I know, um, I'm thinking of the Glass Menagerie, but I know that's not F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's coming. I know. No, that was uh, an Gibson? author. <laughs> no, 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 that was the so, doll, so, glass house, the dollhouse, we don't That's know something different, shit. no, the Glass Menagerie is, is something completely different. Oh, no, Glass Menagerie is that guy. You know, the guy. This is so terrible. <laughs> I know somebody wrote the book because I read it. <laughs> it is a book. It is a book. Yes. Everyone is yelling it right but now, I, and everyone and I, will and tweet I'm, us about it. And now that I said that, I'm not even sure if that's the one that I was really thinking about or not. <laughs> I do believe The Glass Menagerie, if I'm not mistaken, is about like a, a family that, that lives in tenement housing, and like the one person's... Escape is to go to the movies like every day. I thought it was about a lady who couldn't walk. <laughs> <laughs> she might be in the book too. Tennessee Williams <laughs> oh. wrote The Glass Menagerie. I just looked it up. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. We don't know our shit, do we? At all. Oh, The Great Gatsby is what F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote. That one. Mm-hmm. I never read it. And I've never seen the Same. movie. I feel like it's about a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, so... It's no, they did not exist back then. Manny, maybe it's and a actually, manic pixie dream boy. Actually, they did exist quite a quite a bit back then. That's because people were poor as fuck, and they had to think about something, <laughs> <laughs> like something uplifting. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's not just like a. It's not like what today is like a movie trope. It's like no, we just need to believe in something. <laughs> It was in 1927 that Charles Lindbergh took off from Roosevelt Field on Long Island in Mm -hmm. his plane, The Spirit of St. Louis, and flew to Paris in what became the first solo transatlantic flight. And would later go on to be a Hitler supporter. I was going to say by a white supremacist, (laughs) yeah. I don't know if he was a Hitler supporter per se, but let's just say... He uh, he was anti-Semitic at best, right? Well, and he was... uh, Anyway, yeah. He was bad. He was not a good guy. politics are a little problematic, that one. (laughs) They would actually fit right in with today, though. (laughs) Fair enough. This helped launch Long Island as an early aviation center in the 20th century. In 1939, New York Municipal Airport opened to the public in Queens. Today it is called LaGuardia Airport, Mm -hmm. named for New York City Mayor. Yep, Fiorella LaGuardia. In in, sorry, 1948, New York International Airport, locally known as Idlewild Airport, after after the Idlewild Beach Golf Course it was built on top of, opened to the public, also in Queens, to help relieve overcrowding at LaGuardia Airport, and eventually became one of the busiest airports in the world by 1954. Idlewild is also the airport in the movie Goodfellas. Well, obviously, it's a real location. Right. But the mob that was depicted in the movie Goodfellas, that was the airport that they constantly stole from, was mm. Idlewild. Okay. How did Idlewild feel about that? Oh, they were in on it, too. Oh. Like, they had... <laughs> no, 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 I mean, for the movie, like, well, depicting it was, this mob it, stuff. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't known. Oh, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't a secret. It was like, yeah, the mob controls all of these areas mm. around here, and they steal from us when they need to. Uh, which was all the time. <laughs> It was renamed John F. Kennedy International Airport on Christmas Eve of 1963, just over a month after Kennedy was assassinated. After World War II, Long Island's population exploded in Nassau and western Suffolk County due in part to the GI Bill Mm -hmm. incentives and suburban development on a large scale, giving second and third generation children of immigrants and white military veterans the opportunity to buy a home and start a family. White military veterans being the key term, right? Mm. All right. 
Well, thank you for that thorough history of Long Island, Leanne. That was that was fun. Makes me proud to be a New Yorker. <laughs> New York Stater. I know. I was gonna say that's not the that's not the New York. That's I'm not from. the New York. No, I'm from Canada, New York. Yes. <laughs> You're from whatever's upstate of upstate New York. Yeah, the end of the earth, as we like to call it. <laughs> so, history of Transworld Airlines and the airplane. So, Transworld Airlines was founded. I don't think they're still around, right? Don't think so, but I, I do believe before you say what year they were, I do believe they were one of the earliest commercial airliners. Well, they were founded in New York in 1930. Yeah. That is pretty old. Yeah. For commercial flights, yes. And they were originally called Transcontinental and Western Air. So I guess they just used the same mm-hmm. acronym and, uh, as an airmail airline. It flew coast to coast with an overnight stop in Kansas City, Missouri. Its president was a former Hollywood stunt pilot who later convinced millionaire and aviation enthusiast. I'm getting uh, the guy there that DiCaprio played. Yes. Him, Howard Hughes. Yes, very good. <laughs> Leonardo Hughes. DiCaprio, he convinced him <laughs> way back in 1930. To invest in the airline, which he acquired in 1939. During World War II, Hughes contracted five of Transworld Airlines planes to the U.S. Army Air Force. Back then, the Air Force was a branch of the Army. And developed planes in secret with Lockheed that were later used for domestic flights post-World War II. Hughes fought aggressively to expand TWA's routes both domestically and internationally and used his Hollywood connections to get A-list actors of the day to fly on his airline, giving it the reputation of being the airline of the stars. Pretty smart. It's good his, publicity. Yeah, absolutely. TWA's name was changed to Transworld Airlines in 1950 to reflect its non-stop transcontinental and international flights, which Hughes helped pioneer. The airline had originally flown international flights out of LaGuardia Airport in 1946, but changed over to Idlewild Airport in the 1950s for a big reason. TWA had its own terminal built there. They hired Finnish-American architect, thank you, Leanne, for putting in the pronunciation, Aero Sarinen, who also designed St. Louis's... Te- Tevo Teravaiden? <laughs> <laughs> who also designed St. Louis's Gateway Arch and played oh, okay. a key part in getting the Sydney Opera House built as a member of wow. the jury to design their terminal. That's quite a legacy. Right? <laughs> nobody, knows, major... nobody, nobody knows what those things are. Right? <laughs> um, the Sydney Opera House is a place I've always, I do, always wanted I do to I do want to see it. It looks... It, it just looks surreal. And I'm sure it looks even more that way when you see it in person. In the Sydney Harbour. Sydney Harbour Bridge. In the Harbour. Harbour. Where, where, where I had my hair pulled. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I need to laugh as much as possible oh, I know. here. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's helping. I'll probably sooner make you cry, though. <laughs> It was during this era, well, funny thing is, when I laugh, I get a little, like, congested and teary, too, so it's hard to tell the difference. Anyway, it was during this era that TWA became the unofficial flag carrier of the United States, along with their arch-rival Pan Am. What does that mean, flag carrier? I'm not sure. The unofficial flag, like a flagship carrier? Sorry, Leanne, we're probably butchering your intent here. Hughes sold the airline in the 1960s to Hilton Hotels International and Century 21 Real Estate, both still around. In 1970, TWA bought and began flying Boeing 747s for its long-haul flights. TWA's financial woes 
began in 1973 with the Arab oil embargo, which caused a 300% spike in oil and fuel prices and the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. I wonder what that was. I'm interested in that. (laughs) Talk for a minute. (laughs) Yes, will do. I'm guessing the Deregulation Act of 1978. (laughs) Deregulated. Well, it did that, but I'm guessing the main reason for it was so the airlines could save money because they'd lost a lot if of money. If they had to recover, yeah. Had a, because obviously if the price in uh, fuel to fly your plane, planes goes up by 300%, that means you've pretty much got to gotta make up for that cost somehow. Yeah. That means charging more for flights. That means less people can afford it. I mean... Really, before we were born, uh-huh. flying was kind of like a first class thing. Right. Period. It like you wouldn't, you wouldn't commoners necessarily. No. Yeah. Like you didn't like people dressed up to get onto a flight. Yeah. Which is so odd. Well, like, people dressed up in general back in the day. They did, but yeah, but they you, wore like dresses and suits to the the that's grocery true. store. <laughs> yeah, and then then after a while, people were like, "Why are we doing this? Like that's it's four o'clock point. on a Saturday. What the fuck am I wearing a suit for?" It's four o'clock on a Saturday. Bob so, Geldof? What? Is that Bob Geldof? Oh my god, really? You think that's Bob Geldof? I was I was honestly The wondering. regular crowd shuffles in. There's a man. It's a producer that wrote that song, right? Making love to his It's Piano Man. Oh, okay. It's Piano Man. It's oh. Billy Joel. That didn't sound like Piano Man. <laughs> it sounded like He said, "Son, I believe this is killing me." It said it sounded like what an Australian person would have written as piano it man. does kind of sound like time and kangaroo down sport that's that's the first thing that comes to my head when i think of of uh australian that and kookaburra i think of acdc and yeah. waltzing matilda <laughs> that's, <laughs> acdc that's, that's better that's just me <laughs> i think of acdc and crocodiles <laughs> and large insects mm-hmm. all right twa sorry leanne TWA had built its reputation on high-end service and struggled to compete with the low-cost airlines that popped up after these crises. People essentially voted with their dollars that they were fine with crappy airline service and underpaid airline employees if it meant cheaper airline tickets. Mm. Capitalism's a son of a bitch, ain't it? In 1985, businessmen and businessman (laughs) should not have taken me three tries to get that right. Businessman and corporate raider Carl Icahn. Yep. Is that mm-hmm. how it's pronounced? Icahn. Yep. How do you know about him? Because uh, that's like what he's he was, a, okay. He was doing a lot of this shit. Gotcha. Well, probably still is. I'm not sure if he's still alive, but yeah. He took TWA private, which you don't hear about. No, time. you don't. More taking public, right? Receiving four hundred sixty-nine million dollars in the deal, equivalent to one point zero one billion in twenty twenty. That to- that shows you how long ago Leanne sent me this. This was oh, this was on my birthday, December nineteenth, twenty twenty. Sorry, Leanne, that's taken three, almost four months, but <sighs> it was somewhere. <laughs> okay, the agreement also meant that TWA would take on five hundred forty million dollars in debt, or one point one seven billion in today's dollars. Yeah, that's essentially the, that's what corporate rating is. Is see, I'm not super familiar with that. It's um. The broad stroke of it mm-hmm. is somebody coming in with a ton of capital to buy up the whole thing to become the sole proprietor, which it sounds like Carl, Carl Icahn well, did. Well, taking it in private, this, yeah, or sold. While, but they're doing that 
because in their settlement they can just shuffle the loss off to death yes and off Uh, to the shareholders and all that stuff so it's okay yeah hmm as somebody coming in and taking over the private interest of the company Mm -hmm. while all the debts and all that stuff go offloaded to other people Mm -hmm. Mm. happens all the time jeez but in, and, God, but in, capitalism's the worst. But unless some middle class schmo with twenty grand in his pocket pulls it off, we'll never see an investigation right? about it. <laughs> but when they do, mark my words, right? Oh well, we like just we just saw it. Robin Hood shit. Yeah, yeah. It took them all of two weeks to have. Uh... Isn't it ironic that it was through an app called Robin Hood <laughs> yeah. too? Well, the funniest part was all these people were pissed off because the value of a stock was going up, mm. which I thought they had always told us that that was the whole point. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, hot tip, everybody who does decide that Robinhood is a fun thing to like try trading on because most of us have done it at some point. Even I've done it. Those are taxable gains and reportable losses in either case. Like that shit is stuff that's going to affect your taxes. So make sure you get your 1099 composite from Robinhood before you do your taxes or it's not too late to amend. Okay. And if you're an international listener, that meant nothing. It meant literally nothing. <laughs> because you don't have people don't who have kill themselves code. for months a year to try and help everybody else understand this fucked up system. But I'm fine. <laughs> Are you asking? <laughs> I'm testing the waters of how it sounds to say I'm fine. All I can say is I will be joining you on the deck okay. for something other than beer. Oh, okay. And you know I don't do that. Uh, uh, yeah. That's how desperate I've gotten. Okay. Okay, let's move on. I said I wasn't going to get drunk tonight, and I'm like, I think. Anyway. <laughs> Hi, Con sold TWA's London route in 1991, and TWA filed for bankruptcy in 1992. That kind of sounds like his plan all along, huh? Well, this is the same thing, like the, the most recent example is <clears throat> Toys R Us. The same exact oh. thing happened to them. That's why they went out of business. So they got raided, corporate mm-hmm. raided. Yep. Somebody came in, took over the whole company. Took over all the assets and left all the debts and all that. With yeah. Well, then, so who gets left holding the bag in something like that? Anybody? The, share, the former shareholders, like you know, I mean, people that lost a shit ton Does of money. Does it get on discharged the... in bankruptcy? Don't, oh I god, don't know. I fucking hate corporate finance. It's the shittiest thing in the world. I think I think the same thing happened to Sears too, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Yeah, when was the last time you were in a Sears? Yeah. That definitely happened to Toys R Us, though, because mm. I, I watched the whole, like, investigative thing on it. Mm. They emerged from it in 1993 with 55% of the company under creditor ownership. Desperate to finish business with Icon, an eight-year agreement was made that gave him the ability to sell, or sorry, to buy select tickets at 55% of the cost Reselling the tickets on the internet, American Airlines, the future owner of TWA, there we okay. go, uh, estimated that $100 million per year was being lost because of the deal with Icon. He made out like a fucking bandit, and he was a bandit, it kind of sounds like. And it's privately held, so he's getting literally as much of the net income as he mm. feels he should get. After this, TWA would go into bankruptcy again in 1995. They emerged in August 1995 with employee ownership reduced to 30%. 
The plane itself came off the assembly line in Everett, Washington in July of 1971. It was the 153rd 747 ever made and was purchased new by TWA. According to the IMDb trivia page of... Oh, the plane had a quick cameo in the 1980 movie 9 to 5. Oh, my God. I have actually seen that movie. I've seen it multiple times. It's a fantastic movie. And... I'm trying to remember when there was a plane. I haven't seen it in a while now. But um, this plane that crashed had a cameo in 9 to 5, apparently. In the plane's 25-year history, it had flown 16,869 flights with 93,303 hours. And in the previous two weeks, had flown 24 transatlantic flights. Wow. The plane had been... I know. Like almost two a day. Yeah. The plane had been thoroughly... Oh... Yes, almost two a day. I do mm-hmm. I do, do math for a living, after all. The plane had been thoroughly inspected for age-related structural weaknesses, as this had caused previous fatal aviation disasters in other 747s, and none was found. TWA had planned days before the disaster to update their fleet, since they had the oldest of any major U.S. airline carrier. So this all brings us... <laughs> It'd be funny if you forget to edit that part. <laughs> I will not forget to edit that part. <laughs> To the day of the crash, which we knew was coming. <laughs> it was all fun and games until people end up in the Atlantic Ocean off of Long Island. It's all fun and games until Carl Icahn. <laughs> yeah, apparently, right? <laughs> That's what these people do. I mean, I, anyway, I'm, I'm guessing the 1978 uh, We Want Less Regulation with Our oh, Flights Act. Deregulation Act. Had something to do with... A crash that happens 18 years well, later. Well, Leanne did say this was a very extensive um, investigation, so we'll mm-hmm. see. On the day of the crash, the plane departed from Elenicon? Elenicon? I don't know. International Airport in Athens, Greece, as TWA Flight 881 and arrived at JFK Airport at about 4.38 p.m. local time. Nothing unusual had been reported by the flight crew during the 9-hour and 45-minute flight. It taxied into Gate 27 at TWA's terminal, where tanker trucks pumped about 30,000 gallons, or 114,000 liters, of jet fuel into the plane's wing tanks for the next flight. The center wing fuel tank remained relatively empty with 50 gallons, or 190 liters, of fuel, as this would be a relatively short flight, and filling the center tank would have made the plane heavier and more expensive to fly. This had been common practice since the 1973 oil crisis. <coughs> a new crew was brought, <coughs> sorry, brought in for the fi- for the flight that would stop first at Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport, then to its final destination at Rome, Fiumicino, Fiumicino, yes, International Airport, Leonardo da Vinci in Rome, Italy. In command of the flight was Captain Ralph Kavorkian. <laughs> I checked, and no, he is not related to Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope that's not the case. Otherwise, what are the odds of that? Did you watch, um, did you see that biopic about him? You don't know Jack? I didn't. <laughs> I did. I did know that it starred Al Pacino, which that's apparently all he does now. Is biopics? <laughs> him and Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like, who's who's somebody right. else I can play? <laughs> Like, They're like guaranteed Oscar <laughs> noms, you know. Well, they used to be until yeah. you, until <laughs> until that's all you do. Yeah, yeah. 
so Kevorkian was an Air Force veteran who had been with TWA for 31 years and had 18,800 total flying hours with TWA, of which 5,490 were on the 747. This flight would be his second flight in upgrade training to be a 747 captain. Oh, okay. Okay, I get it. The other captain... I don't know why it took me a second there. The other captain slash Czech airman evaluating Kevorkian was Captain Steven Snyder. He had been with TWA for 32 years, been flying 747s over 21 years, and had been a 747 Czech airman for just over three years. He had flown approximately 17,000 total flight hours, including 4,700 hours in the 747. The flight engineer trainee was Oliver Crick, who had just turned 25 three days before Mm. and had worked with TWA for about four months. He had flown approximately 2,520 total flight hours, including about 30 hours as a flight engineer trainee in the 747. This would be his sixth flight. The flight engineer slash Czech airman evaluating Crick was Richard Campbell. He had worked for TWA for 30 years as a pilot and had been a flight engineer Czech airman for about nine years. He became a full-time flight engineer after turning 60, which back then was the mandatory retirement age for an oh, airline okay. pilot. He had 3,047 hours of first engineer experience, including 2,397 hours as a flight engineer on the 747. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. <laughs> it's not, I'm not bored by this. Just moving on. Of the 212 passengers on board, only 176 were fair-paying passengers. The other 36 were TWA employees with family members traveling for free. Mm, 20 of them were meant to cover the Paris to Rome leg of the flight. Some notable passengers were Michel Breistroff, a professional French hockey player. Hmm. Hmm. Marcel Dadi, a French guitarist returning to France after being honored at Nashville's Country Music Hall of Fame. Interesting. Yeah. David, why would a French guitarist be honored in the country? Maybe he did some studio work or something. Them, them, <laughs> them damn French don't, they don't need to come near a country music hall of fame. I was going to say, do you some think... freedom fries. Do you think his accent was well received in Nashville? I don't know. Like, that's the weirdest thing I think I've ever heard. I know, right? <laughs> a French guitarist in the country music hall yeah, of fame. Maybe he did a bunch of studio work for, like... That's what I'm guessing. He must have been, like, a... Maybe he was, like, a producer. Who maybe. Knows? That could be, too. David Hogan a composer and music director for an international gay men's choir, Jed Johnson, an interior designer who had dated Andy Warhol for 12 years. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Rico Pullman, an internationally published fashion photographer, and Ludovic Chanson, an 11-year-old exchange student who was returning home after spending his summer with a family in New Jersey. Probably flying alone, poor thing. In addition, 16 students and five adult chaperones from the French club of the Montoursville Area High School in Montoursville, Pennsylvania, were on board. They were most likely the inspiration of, for the characters of the 2000 film Final Destination. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Was there a plane crash in Final Destination? Yeah, that's what, never the whole thing revolves around. Uh, I actually just saw the Final Destination 5. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. Really? Just for the hell of it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen any of them. Isn't it like basically that you can't dodge fate? Is sort well, of the... it starts out that you do. Oh. And then fate comes, comes back around. Mm-hmm. Fate always has a way of... But yeah, they were headed to, uh, in the movie, yeah, they were headed to Paris. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess that was it. 
The passengers began boarding at about... Star- starring a, a very famous at the time, Devin Sawa. Oh, Devin Sawa. I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> What's he up to these days? He has kids. <laughs> I was going to say, not acting. I haven't seen him in anything Super in a while. Super random shit. Just like family <laughs> shit. And uh, yeah, he was like the... Also the star of the Eminem video for Stan. He, oh. he plays Eminem in the video. He was like a heart- Or he plays the stand in the video, I'm sorry. <laughs> he was like the heartbreak kid, like the little I remember he was big at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. For a while. He was in like now and then, was it? Wow, that's a that's you an old those one. Movies? Yeah, that movie? <laughs> it's just a single film. <laughs> remember the Sawas? <laughs> remember the Sawa twins? Yeah. <laughs> The passengers began boarding at about 6 p.m., anticipating a 7 p.m. departure time, but were delayed for... <laughs> departure time. I suddenly turned into Moira Rose. But were delayed over an hour when a computer could not match a checked suitcase to a passenger boarding cart and a luggage loader broke down, blocking the plane at the gate until a tow truck moved it. <laughs> hmm. The little random shit. Unaccompanied luggage was banned on international flights due heavily in part to the Pan Am Flight 103 bombing in 1988. Not 9-11, obviously, because this is five years before that. It was later... This was closer to 9-11 by a long shot than we are now. Yes, yeah. Wow. It's 20 years ago, almost. Mm -hmm. Jeez. It was later discovered that due to a computer mismatch, the missing passenger had been on the plane the whole time. Oh. Hmm. Although the plane took off 79 minutes behind schedule, the taxi and takeoff were uneventful. The plane turned east parallel to the south shore of Long Island and skimmed the boundary of a Navy active weapon fire zone called Whiskey 105E. Where is this going? I I hope it's not going where I think it's going. What happened? <sighs> Leanne? <laughs> we literally don't know where this is going. No. I'm very interested. Okay, uh, proceed, Rachel. This information would later become a major source of controversy or controversy. During its final 13 minutes of flight, flight, Flight 800 was communicating with air traffic control and slowly increasing its altitude. That's right. It took off from New York, so and it crashed off of New York, mm-hmm. so it's not long flight. Flying in the area was an Eastern Airlines Boeing 737, operating at the time as Flight 507, heading for Trenton, New Jersey. The plane's captain, David McLean, saw Flight 800 directly ahead of him because its landing lights were still on. Captain McLean flashed his landing lights at them to remind the crew that their lights were still on. That's so funny. That's like what drivers do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the last radio transmission from Flight 800 occurred at 8.30 p.m. when the flight crew received and then acknowledged instructions to climb to 15,000 feet or 4,600 meters. The last radar transponder was recorded at 8.31 and 12 seconds p.m. 38 seconds later, Captain McLean reported to air traffic control, quote, We just saw an explosion up ahead of us here, about 16,000 feet, 4,900 meters, or something like that. It just went down in the water, end quote. So this was witnessed by another pilot. Jeez. Multiple other pilots in the area reported, oh, a bunch of pilots, reported seeing an explosion and air traffic control attempted to contact Flight 800 after noticing it had disappeared from the radar. The plane never responded back. Eventually, Captain McLean responded thinking, I think that was him. With the controller responding despondently back, I think so. I'm sure that's eerie as fuck when you're a flight controller. And and a pilot. 
Because you're already up there. You're like, well, as McLean ended with, quote, God bless them. Mm. Quote, yeah, what the hell the fuck do you do? Also in the area doing a training exercise was Sikorsky Payfalk helicopter from the was a Sikorsky Payfalk helicopter from the New York Air National Guard who saw the explosion and arrived on the crash scene 10 miles or 16 kilometers off the southern coast of Long Island. So quickly it was still raining down flaming debris. Damn, so they were just like on it. Jesus. It was described by one of the pilots as quote like a curtain of napalm, end quote. My guess is Whoever it was was a Nam vet because mm. if they're in, you know, it's true. It's only 1996. Vietnam mm-hmm. wasn't that far. There'd still far be guys who were there young. Yeah. Uh-huh. The helicopter went back to short to get help, and multiple other rescue boats and helicopters from the National Guard, Coast Guard, municipal police, and private civilian boats showed up almost immediately on the scene to search for survivors. So they were just fucking on it. Well, it was on off of a very highly populated area. So, um. The sea was covered with burning jet fuel, and run, one rescue boat was nearly swept into the flames after its propellers got caught in airplane wreckage. Mm. Yikes. A number of bodies were floating on the water and were described by rescuers as looking like they were asleep, while others were barely identifiable as human. It quickly became clear that no one had survived, and the rescue mission became a recovery mission. That's always the fucking case, mm. isn't it? That's a sad point when rescue turns into recovery. They worked throughout the night, recovering bodies and airplane wreckage, which were brought to brought to a Coast Guard station in East Mauritius? Sure. Oh, you don't know? I, okay, uh, anyway, New York. <laughs> the Suffolk County Medical Examiner set up a temporary morgue there, too. So the next morning, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, arrived with a full go team and requested assistance from the Navy in underwater search and recovery of the victims. Sure. The flight data recorder, the FDR, yeah. and cockpit voice voice recorder, CVR, and, and the airplane. And they would wreckage. likely have the equipment to be able to pull this off anyway. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. In one of the largest diver-assisted salvage operations ever conducted, often working in very difficult and dangerous conditions, over 95% of the airplane wreckage was eventually recovered wow. by private citizens and officials from every, every level of government. That's that's crazy. That's, that's a lot. From an explosion, yeah. 95% recovered? And that's... the other 5%, you could probably for the most part just... You know, gas is just evaporated or whatever. I mean, it was disintegrated. Frick, yeah. yeah, maybe it, was it wasn't there to be found. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty Jeez. impressive. It is. The search and recovery air effort identified three main areas of wreckage underwater: the yellow zone, red zone, and green zone contained wreckage from the front, center, and rear se- sections of the airplane, respectively. Um, and then Leanne included two pictures of these for a better visual. Okay, I think we can see. So here is the plane you know just on its own okay. gee yeah, i remember that logo it's been a while since i've i know twa mm-hmm. right a close-up of the plane and mm. a photo of the wreckage yeah. well a little bit of the wreckage um oh jesus they're gonna reconstruct it look at that shit that's insane they're puzzle piecing it back together and mm-hmm. then here's the red the yellow crash and green. the mm-hmm. debris designation mm-hmm. zones wow wow Damn. Because it was not clear at first whether this crash was an accident or a criminal act, the NTSB and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, both got involved and this caused some tension. Huh. Kelsey Breeze, right? 
It's not like if you get two federal agencies involved. Well, one of them is like a literal police agency. So, you know, all the feds that they sent there were like, like, where were the terrorists? Right. Like, we know there were terrorists on board. And yes, we did that to people uh, even pre 9-11. This is before the DHS. Mm-hmm. Did the FBI do all the DHS dirty work prior to the DHS being the DHS? Well, them, the CIA and the NSA. Uh, and the NSA. You can't well, forget about the NSA. But David, the CIA only works internationally. They yes, don't they do. do anything with with on domestic people. If only that were true. <laughs> I don't know why I said that in Moira Rosely, but because we need, we need the Canadian sexism. CIA, whoever they are. I don't think they exist though. The Canadian intelligence. Yeah. Uh, the, wait, Cana- the Canadian agency. CIA. The Canadian Central Intelligence. The CCIA. Yes, the CCIA. That's what we need. Sponsored by CCM. Canadian Cycle and Motor. Is that what CCM stands mm-hmm. for? Yeah. Canadian Cycle and Motor. Why do they do hockey shit then? I don't know. People like to wear hockey gear riding motorcycles in Canada. Back in the day, I guess. I'm just picturing someone in like full goalie gear on a bike. I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> it wasn't that funny. I'm just, oh, I meant to get us tissues, didn't I? No, okay. And I didn't. I'm sorry. Oh, well. Uh, so their lines of authority were unclear and the differences in the agency's agendas and cultures came to a head, especially when the NTSB refused to publicly speculate on what caused the crash. Yeah, exactly. They're like, they're like, we don't know dicks. We're waiting like, to like, figure out. Yeah. It's like, we're not going to blame this on Saddam, like just nilly willy. <laughs> Nilly Willy? Yeah. Or Willy Nilly? Willy Nilly, whatever. <laughs> it, honestly, Nilly Willy is All fine. of those. <laughs> I'm going to say Nilly Willy moving forward. <laughs> One FBI agent described the NTSB as, quote, no opinions, no nothing, end quote. The fucking right, douchebag. No opinions. They're not supposed to have opinions. That's true. They're supposed to have facts. Facts. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez. And families of the TWA 800 passengers and crew were suspicious that investigators were not being truthful or withholding information. So, I get that. I understand that. And grieving families should not be expected to respond in a trusting manner. I get that. I get the TWA. I get the the victims' families Mm -hmm. feeling that way. I don't get the FBI (laughs) feeling that way. I mean, that's literally what they're paid to do is... uh... Yeah. Their grief was compounded by the TWA's delay, or TWA's delay, in confirming the passenger list, ooh, and conflicting information from agencies and officials. Well, well, and also also because this isn't clear-cut. Like, it's an explosion. So, was it a criminal incident? Was it it an accident? Mm -hmm. Like, this is one of those things, like, you just, you don't know. Until you thoroughly investigate it. There's no correspondence between the the tower and the the pilot. Right, it just happened suddenly, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, in in a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of plane crashes, like, the cause of the plane crash makes itself apparent. There's a warning, or, like, alarms are going off or something happens. Somewhere before the investigation starts, but with this, there's just... What? It just exploded suddenly. Mm-hmm. Why? It could have been. It could have been a bomb. It could have been a missile. It could yeah. have been a mechanical failure. Yeah. Yeah. Or all of the above. Uh, yeah, I mean, some shit. combination. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Their grief. Okay. Yeah. So, but also, why was TWA delaying confirming the passenger list? Well, maybe they, if they're to f- make the to double check to make up. sure. I guess you don't want to tell someone their loved one is exactly. dead when they're not. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Jeez. It's not something you want to rush out. Ugh. 
The Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office was under constant and considerable uh, pressure to identify victims with minimal delay and return the remains to the family, and they worked almost nonstop. The medical examiner himself, Dr. Charles V. Vital, or Vital, did publicly speculate that he thought a bomb had brought down, ooh, brought down the plane. Ooh, dude, don't publicly speculate. But also said in the same sentence that none of the bodies showed damage consistent with a bomb going off. And then why did he think that it happened if he thought it wasn't consistent? Anyway, he said a majority of the passengers died from whiplash so extreme it caused... Oh, wow. Trigger warning, internal decapitation and had massive internal trauma consistent with extreme water impact. Okay. I didn't know that that was a thing. Internal decapitation is one of those things that's just like... Uh-oh. I don't even I know like what that. that would be. I think it's your it, your spinal cord is severed uh, from impact, but not like your viscera surrounding uh, it. Oh, as bad as tax season is, I have not been internally decapitated. That we know of. I think I... I I'm, I'm unless I'm like a chicken and I'm running around with my head cut off internally. That's that's all just ridiculous. That's tax season talking. It's tax season Raquel. It is tax season Raquel. These poor people. That is horrible. I hope it was fast. That's all I can say. I if it so. if they suddenly exploded, it likely was because of an explosion. But that, that, and yeah. if even the captain wasn't aware of it, you mm-hmm. know, mm. he he said it was also unlikely that anyone would have been conscious when the plane traveling at four hundred miles per hour, six hundred forty three kilometers per hour, suddenly decompressed, throwing them from the aircraft and into the ocean speeds of more than one hundred twenty miles per hour. Yeah, that's true too. Kilometers. Everybody was. Knocked out, probably. Which is for the best. Mm-hmm. But like, it's again, it's it's so it's so morbid to say, but like we all just hope, ultimately, that whatever the end is, it's quick, or we don't even see it. Mm-hmm. We don't even know it. Like just one minute lights on, one minute lights out. I mean, that's honestly the best we can hope for. Or close your eyes to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a trillion and seven years old. So. Uh. Again, trying to find little silver linings. There are none. Spoiler alert. The FBI began their own investigation separate from the NTSB's investigation. Due to the recent World Trade Center bombing in Mm -hmm. 1993, the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, and the World Trade Center bomber Ramzi Youssef about to go on trial in New York City, they thought it was possible that international terrorists could have been involved and requested assistance from... The CIA, or Central Intelligence Agency, who never needs a reason to be invited to an investigation of domestic concern. Oh no, sometimes they need a reason. They're like, find us a terrorist. They're like, okay, gotcha. Mm. Like, we've got a bunch of them already, like, strung up in the back. Mm. Which one do you want? Mm. Mm. The shit CIA agents must know. Yeah, well, they know a lot about us, I'm sure, because we're talking about them right now. <laughs> I don't know that they concern themselves about us. They're like, they're socialists, so we don't have to worry. About yeah, that's or maybe true. that means that they do. Yeah, that, that definitely means that they do. <laughs> they interviewed 736 eyewitnesses who saw or heard TWA's, TWA 800's final moments. That's a shit ton of witnesses. Well, it's also happening in a major metro area so yes no i agree i agree but man and i'm kind of surprised that's i'm kind of surprised that's all there was well that's who they interviewed sure it's not necessarily everybody but pilots in the air said the explosion came out of nowhere 
258 of those witnesses on the ground described seeing an object moving in the sky that was variously described in witness documents as a point of light, fireworks, a flare, a shooting star, or something similar ascending, moving to a point where a large fireball appeared, with several witnesses reporting that the fireball split in two as it descended toward the water. Huh. These witness accounts were a major reason for the initiation and duration of the FBI's criminal investigation caused much public interest and speculation that the reported streak of light was a missile that had struck TWA-100. It was later discovered that the FBI's questions to the eyewitnesses were very leading and could have led the eyewitnesses to believe they saw a missile. (laughs) You're kidding, right? And that missile experts were present at some interviews. Some of the questions asked were... How long did the missile fly? What missile? Right. What does the terrain around the launch site look like? What launch site? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Were scorch marks visible? How am I supposed to see that from down here? Where was the sun in relation to the aircraft and the missile launch point? I have no idea, but it was what time in the day was it? Uh, what was this? 8.30 p.m.? Hold on. I can't, I don't know why I'm even looking. I'm not going to, oh yeah, about around the late 8.30 p.m. So and this is, is in the, And this is, yeah, I was going to say in the, in the spring, right? Is July. We, oh, July, that's July, right, summer. summer. So, so yeah, still no, there still would have been light. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> not much, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some witness documents also noted that so when. It's like, so it's like the sun was basically gone, like it was dusk. Yeah, it would have been dusky at that point, mm-hmm. I would think, yeah. Someone, well, what was, uh. It depends on how far north you are. What was what were summers like in Messina? I was how, gonna say around this time, so July and um, mid July, like a month after longest day of the year. It doesn't really get dark dark until about nine o'clock. Okay, so, so it's yeah. dusky. At so that at eight thirty, it's you can still yeah the sun's still kind of out. Okay, the days are a little bit longer up there than they are down here. Yeah, I was gonna say I remember when I was in Portland, it was a little lighter. I remember talking to my mom when she was here in North Carolina, and she said that it was. Getting a little darker earlier than where we were Mm -hmm. because we were farther north. So, Some witness documents also noted that witnesses acknowledged that they did not realize that they had observed a plane crash until they saw media accounts of the accident. Well, they thought it was fireworks and shit. Yeah, and you're in New York City. This is summer. Could have been a fucking Hollywood stunt. Right? For all they knew. Well, and this stuff, Montauk is like a beach summer destination, Mm -hmm. like, like the Hamptons and shit. It is like the Long Island's Hamptons. Yeah. Like, it really is. Where are the Hamptons? Actually? The Hamptons are, uh, like, off of Jones Beach, I think. Is the Hamptons? Jones Beach? Like, off of the actual New York City. Oh, okay. I think. Okay, I don't know. But they did a Top Mont- Chef episode <clears throat> on Montauk. <laughs> yeah, Montauk is the furthest east part of Long Island. It's the eastern yeah. coast of Long Island. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in it the is, summer, it's a destination, And it is a, it is right? a va- yeah. vacation mm-hmm. spot, yes. Yeah. Where's Fire Island? I have no idea. <laughs> there are lots of places in, so in the places. United States. <laughs> I don't so know them all. So many places. I don't even know all the states. Even in the Northeast. <laughs> Not all the 50 United States. All right. So media reports about the crash being associated with the criminal investigation also might have led to bias on the part of some interviewees. That's true. Like if you just thought you saw fireworks or something and, and then you and get all historic, these little ideas in your head. And historically, we know this now, like witness testimony is mm-hmm. almost just... It can be unreliable or very easily... 
Not that people are intentionally doing anything. It's just you, memories an extra, exactly. extremely fragile yes. thing. People mess up memories of things that they did themselves. Yes, constantly. <laughs> you know, much I, less oh, I just witnessed this thing. You know? I've heard from multiple sources that like the nature of memory is that every time you try to access it, it like corrupts it further. I, I guess, which is I so interesting. It's, anyway, it's like coding. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, and you know, you're and you know, that's, that and of course, that's the fucking questions they're, that they're going to yeah. ask. Because <laughs> they're trying to, and, and I get to be. Did you, did you see a brown skinned man in a, in a really <laughs> thick beard clapping? Hmm, you did, didn't you? Hmm. Well, the thing is. Yeah, this is a terrorist incident. All right. <laughs> like if they're trying we to ha- ask. We have an account. <laughs> they're trying to ascertain that you know like was this a terrorist attack but they should know better than ask such pointed questions but at any rate oh they do know better but but the problem is like these people don't know better than like to have a lawyer with them which, well well but yeah but which they're understand they're exactly not gonna get, understandably so they're not necessarily no, i just realized i'm missing the last page Uh-oh. um they that's i think that's it there right it is there. okay yep. uh they're not being accused of anything. No, but it's still... But still, remember, if you're ever questioned by any any federal or state or local or municipal, whatever, county... Kind of lawyer. Yes. Authorities have an attorney present, if at all possible. And then if they ask, why do you want a lawyer? They'd like, to protect me against you. <laughs> That's the answer. Or because it's my right to. <laughs> yeah, well, that And too. you don't need to know anything that little, else. That little small <laughs> thing. Like, I get the right to have one. That's why. All the small things. All right. So similar to the McMartin preschool trials of the 1980s. Now, side rant or side note. Mm -hmm. um, We have had one of our listeners ask if they thought that was an appropriate topic. Now, while that's a fascinating case. We kind of decided that it wasn't. That it was a little more criminal. criminal. Yeah. On the part. Not of the people accused. No. No, no, no. <laughs> On the part of just, it was, it was more of a moral panic, mm-hmm. which is a little less our territory. But uh, although we did the purity we did. panic, um, so it is borderline. We kind of made the call of no, but there's a lot of really great podcasts out there that cover the yes. Martin. Plus, it would be a trash. bitch of a thing to research, and oh, like, neither of us kind of feel like it. <laughs> well, I, well, actually, I think it may have been someone offering to do it. Hey, go ahead. But I, I but still I still wasn't think sure I'm it was not, entirely not appropriate positive for, it's us. for us. Yeah, um, but it is fascinating, and there are some really good resources on it. But anyway, the McMartin preschool trials of the 1980s, which was basically that they there was a um, child sex abuse mm-hmm. panic that apparently didn't really happen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it was the it was the uh, earliest version of QAnon. Oh, jeez. Suggestion by investigators and speculation and at times sensationalism in the media planted false memories in the minds of the witnesses. Research into... Oh, Leanne's going for it. What we just talked about. Oh, okay. Research into human memory and its accuracy has demonstrated that human memory is subject to error and that these errors occur for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Further, people tend to be unaware of their memory errors. I keep wanting to say memory. (laughs) That's not what it is. It's memory (laughs) errors and may be overconfident in the accuracy of their memories. According to the Innocence Project, mistaken eyewitness identifications contributed to approximately 69% of the more than 375 wrongful convictions in the United States overturned by post-conviction DNA evidence. 
it's geez. Well, sure. And that's so sad because it's not intentional. And people who are giving that testimony are not trying to frame somebody mm-hmm. necessarily. You know, it's it's literally they believe it. They right. think we construct our own realities. That's what we forget sometimes. I see tax season is all up here, all in my mind. It's not a real thing. It's a construct. <laughs> it's a construct that I'm dismantling one beer at a time tonight. <laughs> Analysis of eyewitness statements by the CIA found very few of them reported seeing the plane before it exploded. Sure. They reported hearing sounds they described as a boom, a roar, or a thunder, like rumble. And then looking up to the sky where the sound came from. The CIA calculated that Flight 800 was about 10 miles or 16 kilometers offshore and two and a half miles or four kilometers high. And the sound of the explosion would have taken 40 to 50 seconds to reach them since sound travels at about 767 miles per hour, 1,234 kilometers, meaning whatever they saw had already been underway for nearly a minute. So, all right. Rumors began to circulate on the internet. Very, very early internet. A good, uh, a good modern example of that is the. Uh, um, oh, the sound. No, the well, yes, uh-huh. the asteroid explosion uh, over Russia, like in what 2012. 13 or 14. Yeah, because mm-hmm. people saw it explode, mm-hmm. and then it was like another two minutes before they, they could hear it and, and get and the shockwave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> weird. Yeah. Can you imagine just being like? Oh, that was weird. And then, like, 60 seconds later, suddenly... Yeah, it was It was like a minute so, or two later. So fucking before, weird. Before it actually reached... Sound waves and shit? Mm-hmm. So weird. Yeah. So weird. Science is, like, weird and shit. Science is so fucking weird and shit. <laughs> yeah, science, bitch. <laughs> yeah. All right. Analysis of eyewitness... Oh, no, we already said that. Okay, rumors began to circulate on the internet, intranet, very early AOL, and in the news media that TWA Flight 800 had not been been brought down by terrorists, but by accident from a Navy vessel in the active weapon fire zone Whiskey 105E. So that really... Oh, wow. It was like an early internet conspiracy theory. Okay. Or are was, you buying it? I, well, I don't fucking know. Like that, but that's Let's what I was kind of thinking. One very high-profile person suggested the Navy, or suggesting the Navy was covering up a friendly fire accident, was JFK's former press secretary and former ABC News correspondent Pierre Salinger. <clears throat> I, no I don't know. JD Salinger's son. <laughs> oh yes, author. he named his, he named his son Pierre. Why not? <coughs> he probably wrote a book in France and had a kid while he was over there. Pierre Solliger. Pierre Solliger. There were eight Navy There were eight Navy ships, eight submarines, and five Navy planes in Whiskey 105E, and were within 340 miles or 550 kilometers of where Flight 800 went down. The FBI sent dozens of agents to check the Navy's logs and found no missile was unaccounted for, nor had been fired that fateful evening. Okay. One ship that was pointed out in the friendly fire rumors was the USS Normandy, but the FBI found it was nearly 100 miles or 160 kilometers beyond the range from which its missiles could have hit Flight 800, and furthermore, the anti-aircraft missiles would have shown up on the radar. 
Oh, okay. Mm. That's true, too, because they would have been leaving a heat signature. Yes, and that's the other thing, is that all of a sudden the plane just disappeared from the radar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There was no reports of, like, other shit showing up. That's true. Uh, For damn sure, a satellite in 1996 that deploys airplanes would have picked up a fucking missile Mm -hmm. coming. Yeah. Oh, that's that's kind of what they were built for, was to pick up exactly that. Right? (laughs) Meanwhile, the NTSB's investigation carried on, and they recovered Flight 800's CVR and FDR seven days after the crash, thanks to the Navy divers. The CVR showed nothing unusual had happened during the plane's takeoff and climb, but at 8.29 and 15 seconds p.m., Captain Kevorkian was heard saying, Look at that That just sounds weird. I know. Quote, look at that crazy fuel flow indicator there on number four. See that? End quote. So he's seeing something. At 8.31 and 12 seconds p.m., so just under a minute, or no, two minutes later, a loud noise recorded on the last few tenths of a second of the CVR was similar to the last noises recorded from other airplanes that it experienced in-flight breakups, and the recording stopped without any warning. Mm. So the captain was seeing something kind of funny, and then less than two minutes later... It's... Dunzo. So the FDR uh, cut out suddenly at the same time, too. This, together with the distribution of wreckage and witness reports, all indicate a sudden catastrophic in-flight breakup of TWA-800. They, along with the FBI, examined every piece of the plane to see if they could find damage typically associated with a high-energy explosion of a bomb or missile warhead, which would be like, quote, severe pitting, cratering, peddling, or hot gas washing, end quote, but found none. The FBI did find microscopic traces on pieces of floor panel and carpet tiles of RDX and PETN, both of which are high explosive chemicals, but it didn't make sense since the floor and carpet had no high energy explosion damage. It was later discovered, oh dear, that TWA had loaned the plane out to airport police at St. Louis Lambert International Airport a month before a dog training explosive detection exercise where they used RDX and PTEN. So it was from a previous, oh, or okay. PETN, from a previous situation. From a, from a training exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The police told the FBI that one of them might have leaked trace amounts of the chemicals on the plane. All of this led the NTSB to conclude that, quote, the in-flight breakup of TWA Flight 800 was not initiated by a bomber missile strike, end quote. The FBI closed their criminal investigation in 1998 and handed over their eyewitness reports to the NTSB. The NTSB put back together nearly one million pieces of TWA's 800 fuselage. How do you even do that? The, what we just saw, I, I know, I, in three months' time. That's insane. It is bonkers hoping it would give them more clues as to how it broke apart in the first place. That's some fucking dedication there. I mean, I guess it's their job, but still, like, that's that's a lot. Um, they calculated that the fuselage's major fractures stemmed from the area in and around the airplane's wing center section, which included the center wing fuel tank, the uh, one that wasn't yep. as, as full, mm-hmm. to try and save money. This part of the plane was found furthest back from the rest of the wreckage, the red zone, meaning it was the first part of the plane to break off. These, the fractures traveled up both sides of the fuselage and tore off the nose and most of the business in first class sections of the plane, the yellow zone. And that's in, mm-hmm. uh, that's in these pictures, yeah. 
Uh, the center wing tank showed damage consistent with a, quote, overpressure event, unquote, meaning a rapid increase in pressure resulting in failure of the structure of the tank. Since there was no evidence that an explosive... And, and I was going to say, and hence an explosion, since it's, since it's a fuel tank. Right. Since there was no evidence that an explosive device detonated in this or any other area of the airplane, the NTSB concluded that this overpressure event could only have been caused by a fuel-air explosion inside the tank. Pressure causes a lot of workplace accidents, especially yeah. like in the types of jobs that I've worked where mm. I'm working with tanks. Mm-hmm. Like right before you go to open it, mm-hmm. there's a big red tag right before the mm. uh, the hatch that you open mm-hmm. up that says, check the pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, Because if you don't mm-hmm. and the thing is pressurized and you go to open it, the fucking thing is going to fly up in your face. and Right. Well, that's a, a very sort of like average thing is a pressure cooker. A pressure yeah, cooker can exactly. explode if incorrectly yeah. handled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pressure cookers are, are used as bombs, too. Uh, that's well, what was yeah. used in the, the Boston mm-hmm. Marathon bombing. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, now let's see if I can find my place. There's no overpressure event. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. It's okay. We'll keep going. Since there was no evidence that an explosive device detonated in this or any other area of the airplane, the NTSB concluded that this overpressure event could only have been caused by a fuel air explosion inside the tank. Okay. As I mentioned above, Leanne mentioned above, the center wing fuel tank only had held 50 gallons of jet fuel at the time and had not been refilled at JFK. Jet fuel itself is not highly flammable, but when heated up to a fuel a fuel air vapor, it is. Directly under the tank was the plane's air conditioning packs, which produced cool air for passengers by using hot air from the engines. Through conducting test flights with an out-of-service 747, the investigators discovered that the air conditioning packs reached temperatures of 350 degrees Fahrenheit, or 176 Celsius, and the fuel tank reached temperatures of 127 degrees, or 52 Celsius. 96 degrees, or 35 Celsius, is the flashpoint of vaporized jet air. I was air going to fuel. say, that's, that's <laughs> certainly hot enough. enough to make it fucking mm-hmm. explode. Previous fuel explosions in the center wing fuel tank of commercial airliners such as Avianca Flight 203 and Philippine Airlines Flight 143 confirmed that a center wing tank explosion could break apart the fuel tank and lead to the destruction of an airplane. Passengers aboard Flight 800 had been sitting on the tarmac for over two and a half hours due to the passenger and luggage loader delays. In the middle of July. Yep. And temperature... Oh, damn. So if it hadn't mm-hmm. been that, Jesus Christ. If, it, if, the, if that uh, had happened in December... Uh-huh. This probably wouldn't oh, have happened. Jesus. And temperatures that day reached 87 degrees or 30 Celsius. New York City gets humid as hell in the yes, summer, too. Yep. Yeah. So it probably felt even hotter than that. To keep the passengers and crew cool, Captain Snyder turned on the already running air conditioning packs onto full blast. What's... Mm-hmm. The packs essentially became, a, became stovetop burners under a saucepan. Jesus, mm. man. To figure out what was the... What was the ignition source for the fuel air vapor that NTSB considered everything from lightning or meteor strike, a missile fragment, a small explosive charge placed in the tank, a fire migrating to the center wing tank from another fuel tank via the vents, an uncontained engine failure, or a turbine burst in the air conditioning packs beneath the static 
or beneath the tank and static electricity. These were all concluded to be unlikely, and the one thing investigators kept coming back to that could not be ruled out was the wiring for the Fuel Quality Indication System, or the FQIS, which was located inside the center wing tank. Boeing had designed the wiring inside the tank to carry a low voltage. Therefore, for the FQIS to have played a role in igniting the flammable fuel air vapor in the tank, the following two events would have had to take place. One, a transfer of higher than intended voltage into onto FQIS wi- wiring from a power source outside the fuel tank, and two, the release of the energy from that FQIS wiring into the inside of the tank in a way that could ignite the fuel air vapor in the vein. In the vein. Va- 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 that could ignite the fuel air vapor into the tank. It's a good thing we don't net it. <laughs> the wires from the fuel tank were joined outside the tank in a bundle with other higher voltage wires, and many of them were found to be cracked or otherwise damaged, often exposing the inner conductor. When powered, such damaged wires would be vulnerable to short-circuiting. This was also found during inspections of other 747 airplanes of about the same age, so it's likely that metal shavings and other contaminants were interspersed with the wiring system on TWA-800 beforehand. So, I mean, just... (sighs) Mm -hmm. A big um, convergence of suck. Yeah, and of just... Suckiness. Just normal circumstances, but it just turned into... Mm -hmm. Hmm. Evidence of arcing was found in multiple wires near the FQIS wiring connecting to the center wing tank. An independent test done showed a spark of 75 millijoules of energy could have easily ignited the fuel air vapor. That's about the same amount of electrical energy you create from walking across a carpet in socks and touching a doorknob. It's like a little electric Okay, shock. yeah. That's, hey, that's all it takes sometimes. Damn. I have been getting... Um, I don't know what it is about my office, but it's fucking um, full of static electricity right now. Mm. <laughs> and literally... Uh, and because I do take my shoes off, I'm walking against carpet, and then I touch like the refrigerator door handle and I get a little... And that, that was... Uh, for the longest time, that was a... That was an issue with cars, too, when mm. cars first became fuel-injected, mm-hmm. because that fuel injection can cause a spark. And and yeah. cars were catching on fire yeah. because oh, they hadn't yeah. quite gotten the science mm-hmm. of it? Yep. Ooh. Ooh. That's all it fucking takes. Damn. Yeah. Well, uh, when, you're dealing, when you're dealing with a flammable, potentially flammable object, object. Mm-hmm. well, you can't start a fire. You can't start a fire without a spark. But if you have that spark, you can start a fire. But this gun's for hire. You know, even if, if we're just dancing in the dark. Even. Even if. Hey, baby, let's dance with Courtney Cox. I don't think he played that song when we saw him. Or did he? Oh, damn. That was a while it back. It was a while I ago. Don't, it was like seven years ago. Yeah. Whew. Been I'd go see him again, back. though. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Great. Yeah. He's probably, although he, he got caught um, drunk driving, but was able to plead down because he's Bruce Springsteen. And when you have that much money, just why yeah. do you drink and drive? Like, it doesn't make any sense Higher to me. Higher fucking... <laughs> exactly. Uh, like, it fucking doesn't make any chauffeur. sense. Chauffeur! Yes. Jesus, dude! <laughs> oh, damn. It's like when big-time professional athletes get caught mm. drinking and dr- It's like, I know you're gonna go clubbing. Like, I know. Like, you're 24 years old and you have $10 million. Like, of course that's what mm. you're gonna do. Fucking hire a driving service. You know... It's not... We say that, but what killed Diana? <laughs> Princess Diana was a chauffeured car. <laughs> That's true, but she wasn't drinking and driving. No, she was not. That's yeah. true. So, Possibly the driver was. But... 
I I don't know enough about that to be. We will cover was, it. At some okay. Point. Yes. But like that always just. I know. I'm like, why? Like, I know. It doesn't make any sense. I know. I get like average people that that shit has happened sometimes. But like for, yeah, if you're fucking cabillionaire. If, if money is not an issue. <laughs> why are you driving? Then just, yeah. Weird little hire a car service. shit. I'm sure that's part of Wanting it. Wanting to be independent or yeah. whatever. But the shackles of fame. I don't know. I would want to be not dead or not held responsible for somebody <laughs> else's probably, death. That's probably, and and not the bad publicity either, yeah. to be fair. You know, like, to, from the capitalist standpoint. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're talking about a plane crash, apparently. Oh, yes. The CVR Again. showed t- two microsecond long dropouts of background power harmonics. Oh, my God. In the second before the recording ended, meaning power was momentarily lost to the recorder just before the explosion. Mm. This shit is like fucking detail oriented. Captain Kevorkian's comments on the crazy readings of the number four engine fuel flow gauge also suggests that some type of electrical anomaly occurred that affected the wiring two and a half minutes before the explosion. And that was the initial thing he was pointing out. He yeah. was just like something, he, something's something weird doesn't here. look right here. Mm-hmm. And Experiments done showed that the gauge anomaly could have been caused by sh- a short to the FQIS wiring. So he may have seen that. And I'm sure that happens too, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure he wasn't thinking it was that big of a deal. He was just like, oh, something's a little out of place here. Oh, we're not to those pictures yet. Okay. The conclusions. The plane was essentially a flying bomb with almost mm. 1,760 cubic feet or 50 cubic meters of highly flammable fuel air vapor when it took off. The streak of light eyewitnesses saw on the ground was the crippled plane soaring upwards after the nose fell off and the Jesus engines were still Christ. on full blast. So it was still going up while its nose was going down. Oh, my God. At 15,000 feet or 4,600 meters, the plane stalled and went into a corkscrew dive into the Atlantic Ocean, shearing off the left wing and engine full of thousands of gallons of jet fuel, causing the second fireball described by the eyewitnesses. I was just going to say, which is what people were saying. Why they saw two, possibly, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just, mm, at least it sounds like most people were dead before that all happened and they weren't living through that shit. I hope so. But but we also know, because the nose came off first, that the pilots were likely the first people to go. Because mm. that's, the, that's the cockpit. Well, and the business uh, class, like, mm-hmm. uh, first class. Well, it just said strictly the nose of the plane came mm-hmm. off, which that's, well, where the, yeah. that's where the cockpit is. Mm-hmm. There is a barrier between the cockpit that's and true. that first class. That's so, true, yeah. Yeah. The NTSB's final report was released on August 23rd, 2000, this is four years later, with the board determining that the cause of the TWA 800 crash was, quote, an explosion of the center wing fuel tank resulting from ignition of the flammable fuel air mixture in the tank. The source of ignition energy for the explosion could not be determined with certainty, but of the sources evaluated by the investigation, the most likely was a short circuit outside the center wing tank that allowed excessive voltage to enter in through electrical wiring associated with the fuel quantity indication system. And I don't know if she's going to mention this coming up or not, but also, if they had filled up that uh, tank, mm-hmm. there'd be less there, vapor. There would be, and there would be less. It would there'd be less pressure to get mm. to get in there and. Mm-hmm. 
because the tank they were was trying to save money. Because the tank was virtually empty. Yeah. And had all this space to How does almost every one of our disasters flow back to capitalism? Well, I mean, with with this one in particular, like it's that's that's a reasonable like we don't need this tank to get to where we're going. It doesn't make any sense to fill it up here. Like I understand that. Okay, but, but uh, then but, uh, if it does stay on the ground for an hour and a half, maybe we need to reevaluate. Well, I mean, now we know. Yeah. Unfortunately, but just I I was I'm not saying anybody no, 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 maliciously anybody left that, that tank. Yeah, but, no, but I'm just I saying agree, I agree. had that tank been filled up, yeah, it wouldn't have been pressurized mm-hmm. the way it would have. The way it wound up being. One of the shittiest things about human beings is that our best lessons are learned at a really horrible cost. tragedy? Yeah. I think that's the same with just the animal kingdom in general. That's how we evolve, is Mm -hmm. through tragedy? Mm Mm-hmm. God, that's so fucking depressing. It's like you don't go swimming in crocodile-infested waters at night. And now you know. (laughs) The more you know. Oh my god. Life is... Life sucks. You don't go swimming in crocodile-infested waters anyway, for well, any reason. a better idea. About Especially you. at night. Hmm? When they're all out hunting. <laughs> just realize. <laughs> just at any time. Let's not <laughs> yeah, just let's say just not do daytime swim yeah. is a good idea. Either. That's not good either. Yeah. Uh, but if you're really thinking about it, certainly don't do it at night. Definitely not at night. Yeah. If you have to do it at all, but don't. <laughs> In addition to the probable cause, the NTSB found the following contributing factors to the accident. First, the design and certification concept that fuel tank explosions could be prevented solely by precluding all ignition sources. And two, the certification of the Boeing 747 with heat sources located beneath the center wing tank with no means to reduce the heat transferred into the center wing tank or to render the fuel tank vapor non-combustible. I have no idea what I just said. But thank you, Leanne, for mm-hmm. including all of that. Um, she did include sort of a, a uh, the wing center selection of the se- section of the Boeing 747, including the center wing tank. So this is kind of like how that. Oh, and there's a little person to mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. like reference for the tank. So. All right. But, but also notice like how big of an area that it is for all this pressure to build up. Yeah. Yeah, and if it gets sparked, then yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. All right, aftermath. The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, issued 70 airworthiness directives to prevent fuel tank ignition and aged wiring issues, which affected over 7,500 planes in the U.S.'s entire fleet. Boeing fitted their planes with nitrogen inerting systems. In 2008, the Secretary of Transportation passed a rule requiring this of all new passenger and cargo planes and passenger planes built in the 1990s. Plus, there was, for good reason, one of the few good things to come out of 9-11 was um, they made airplanes much safer than they ever had been before Mm. to prevent, specifically to prevent terrorist Terrorist acts, Mm -hmm. but that resulted in Mm -hmm. much safer planes. Mm -hmm. Not to say that something still... Obviously, because we've because we've done plane crashes that have happened since mm-hmm. two thousand. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but planes are generally because of nine eleven a lot safer than they were before that. Right. Well, we've come a long way from that. We have. <laughs> Charles Lindbergh's first transatlantic yes, fight. You know. What was that picture? I think you showed me or somebody put on our discussion group of. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the interior of a plane taking off in like 1935 and there were literally like wooden rocking chairs to like sit in and it's I like I do and I'm like I'm like are you fucking crazy like I'm not getting in that fucking Who thing do that? I, 
as like not the pilot's chairs, mm-hmm. but like the people going for a ride on the flight. I'm How like, funny. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm well, like, I know. like you don't think you want to strap one of those down? Like you're in a plane. <laughs> you know that the whole the whole way it can fly is that it has to go very fast. <laughs> yes, it's true for lift. <laughs> yes. Like, what the fuck do you think is going to happen to that rocking chair? You're going to go straight to the back of the plane. Well, you know, uh, progress happens with a lot of help from some very mentally unhinged people. (laughs) That are willing to do stuff like that. Yeah, imagine being the first person to try to fly a plane. I did see see a History Channel thing on the first person to ever die in a plane crash. Really? Yes, it was was really, it was like Like, 1904. I was going to say it would be really, but there was casualties early on. Jeez. But yeah. Couldn't. And can you imagine trying to explain flight to somebody? I can't explain uh, flight to anybody. To our constitutional originalists out there, I still don't know what the fuck that means. But it, it, try explaining to somebody in 1776 what an airplane is. <laughs> and then expect them to understand to the understand complexities anything of about the it. internet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you not know what constitutional originalist means? I, I don't. It, it sounds like a bullshit term. It, it kind of is. We'll talk about yeah. that. We've gotten on long enough. <laughs> that's, that's for our All Bad Politics podcast. All Bad Politics. All Bad Politics. This is like our 15th plane crash, and they're all ghastly. I think it might be more than that. Oh, God. This is episode 192. 192. Okay. I'd like to do something great for our 200th, but Jesus Christ, I can't think past tomorrow right now. So. Congress passed the Aviation Disaster Family Assistance Act of 1996, giving the NTSB responsibility for coordinating services to the families of victims of fatal aircraft accidents in the United States. That's act- that actually seems really major. Wow. In 2005, the NTSB and the FBI entered into a Memorandum of Understanding. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the understanding... <laughs> The understanding being we're the FBI and we're going to fucking say what goes around here. See, that term, I don't know why. Yeah. Here's the thing. I bet they did come to an understanding. I don't know why <laughs> that this came to my mind. You have a bunch of geek scientists from the NTSB meeting up with a bunch of dudes with guns. <laughs> I wonder how that, you know, understanding, think, you know, took took place. I think because it sounds so, like, peppy. Memorandum of understanding or yeah. hippie. That it, literally the first thing that came legal to my speak. mind, the first thing that came to my mind was, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. That's great. And it's only a day away. That was what? from the Carousel of Progress at Disney World. <laughs> what came to my mind with the, what was it called again? Memorandum of the Understanding. The Memorandum of Understanding <laughs> is like from now on, everything that happens with a plane crash is going to be terrorist related. I gotcha. Well, it's 05 too. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that from now on, anytime you have a disagreement with somebody, you have to say, look, we need to enter into <laughs> a Memorandum, memorandum of Understanding. understanding. <laughs> Let's, let's, here's my draft, first draft of a memorandum of understanding. There's a specific person at work I need to bring that up to. (laughs) Maybe instead of a letter of engagement with my clients, I need to have a memorandum of understanding. It's much better. Softens the blow. Memorandum of understanding. I will get your fucking taxes done when I can, and you will not bitch about it. How about that? 
Like, like this is not my first go around in manufacturing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I feel like saying. That's what I feel like my memorandum of understanding mm. needs to be at with anyway. All right. So in 05, the NTSB and FBI entered into this memorandum of understanding to prevent the friction that happened between them during the investigation from happening again in the future. I'm sure they're best of friends now. <laughs> I'm sure that, that did it all. Like they are, they, they are legally obligated friends. to like the FBI director and the director of the NTSB have to have a Starbucks together <laughs> once, once a month. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? And one month is the FBI that picks up the tab. The next month is the NTSB. Like <laughs> they just, yeah. Is it tax deductible though? Only at 50% because of meals and entertainment. Ha! The wreckage is permanently stored in an NTSB f- facility in Ashburn, Virginia that was custom built for the purpose. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Is it weird that I kind of want to see if we can go see it? But I don't think I so. It's NTSB. It. We're no. not going to be able to see it. No. The reconstructed aircraft is used to train accident investigators. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. I was That's just going good. to say, and they probably kept it as a training facility. That's great. That's yes. great. The fiance of one of the TWA 800 victims created a nonprofit along with the families of, vic- of victims of Pan Am Flight 103 that helps surviving family members of air crash of aircraft crash victims and conducts sensitivity and support training for airlines and other companies that regularly deal with grieving families and survivors. Sorry, that's not funny. It was just beer number two is kicking in. It's tax season. Kicking in. That's my excuse for everything for six more weeks. It's kicked in. Oh, Jesus Christ. It is kicking my fucking ass is what it's doing. Multiple memorials were built for those who died in, on TWA 800. The main one is at Smith Point County Park in Shirley, New York, and has flags from the 13 countries of the victims and a curved Cambrian Black Granite Memorial. Hey, I said that all in the first try. With the names engraved on one side and an illustration on the other of a wave releasing 230 seagulls. Oh. Here's the... Um, Oh, that's oh, very wow. pretty. It is. That's actually really lovely. That, <laughs> that, that is. That's really pretty. I, this is also something I don't want to see. I know, I know, right? Except for that photo. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's shitty thing about memorials, right? This is, it's they're a memorial. Really, they're really well built and yes. beautiful and whatever, but and moving, but yeah, yeah it's about well, dead people, and that's yeah. really sad, yeah. <sighs> um... In July 2006, so 10 years after, an abstract black granite statue of a 10-foot-high or 3-meter-high lighthouse was added above a tomb holding many of the crash victims' personal belongings. I think Leanne included the lighthouse statue. Mm-hmm. And then this is another one we're going to talk mm-hmm. about in just a second. Um, uh, the lighthouse statue was designed by a man whose cousin died in the crash. Oh. Mm. <clears throat> Although I do like that there was that connection. I think sure. that's nice when that can happen. Montoursville High School, remember all the mm-hmm. kids, built a statue of an angel. Oh, that's what it is. On a base engraved with the name of the 21 local victims and a brief history about them. The memorial is in a circular grove of 21 trees, one for each person lost. In Spring Valley Village, Texas, a statue was built honoring a mother and her two daughters from the area who had been on that plane. This is when I'm okay Aww. building statues. Oh, you know what I mean, right? Instead of fucking Confederate of, generals, <laughs> or just even like George Washington, right? You know? like, I yeah, mean, do we really need to memorial? But but victims, oh, 
That's the mom mm-hmm. and her kids. Yeah, like if, if if uh, Black Lives Matter were going after these statues, I'd probably be upset. Yeah, right. Because those are like these are like <laughs> yeah. poor victims. But I'm, of I'm pretty sure nobody's going to try to take no. these down. <laughs> and that's what people need to keep in fucking mind yeah. is that <laughs> fucking white supremacists don't deserve to have fucking statues. Victims of of horrible circumstances, like a okay, never gonna fight against that, right? Oh. T.W. So this is the epilogue. T.W.A. continued to have financial issues and filed for mm-hmm. bankruptcy again in April of 2001. They ended booking on November 30th, 2001. Huh. So just after now. Yeah. And flew their final flight on December 1st, 2001. So they've been gone almost 20 years. Yes, I guess I almost didn't. Exactly. I know. Totally. I knew they hadn't been around lately, but I, I guess I didn't realize it had no. been that long. They were absorbed into American Airlines after that. TWA's terminal at JFK was added to the National Historic Registers in 2005 and was purchased by JetBlue in 2008. In 2015, it was announced that JetBlue had partnered with a hotel developer to turn it into a hotel dedicated to TWA's legacy. That's what this picture is. It opened to the public in May of 2019 and had many of the terminal's original details, such as the custom ceramic floor tiles and the 486 variously shaped window panels. That's kind of cool. Like I yeah, it is. It I is actually like a that cool concept. architectural thing. Let, let's take an airport wing and turn mm-hmm. it into a hotel. Like that's I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a neat idea. Yeah. So it's re- um, replica- mm-hmm. replicants of the originals, the window. Like imagine if your suite was like up here. That'd be badass. Right? <laughs> the hotel has a rooftop heated pool and bar where you can watch planes oh, coming yeah. in and out of JFK. Hey, post COVID, should we? Sounds like fun. A cocktail lounge inside one of TWA's original Lockheed planes from the really? 1950s yeah. and an aviation history museum. Their website says they Love are a leadership in energy and environmental designer, LEED certified, union built and operated, and the only hotel operating within the boundaries of JFK Airport. No shit. And that, my friends, was the story of TWA Flight 800. Damn, Leanne. You're fucking that, that thorough was, as shit. Yes, that was excellent. Did, look at look at look at how long we've been recording. And we, yeah, we only bantered through the episode, not at the <laughs> yes, beginning of it, and not and not at the beginning. Yeah, damn. Mm. I like that it left off on a positive note of a of an airport terminal being turned into a hotel. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And but, now I kind of want to stay there. Yeah, that that would be really interesting. But. uh Oh, 230 I, I just, I don't like plane crashes. I know. I, just don't. I know. Why do our listeners like them? I, they love them. <laughs> you guys are all over if, it. If you go through our, uh, like, most listened to episodes, They're most of them crashes. are plane crashes. Like Jesus. Yes. <laughs> right now, I kind of get it because not that many people are traveling. That's true. So I kind of get that. Yeah, I mean. But sh- they've always been I pretty popular. F- I'm positive. I don't think I was on a plane in 2020. I'm positive I wasn't. I was at the very beginning, like beginning of January, I went to see my grandparents and that was That's right. That was I, it. I went to, yeah, I think the last time I was 19. on a plane when I was, when mm-hmm. I went to Cleveland mm-hmm. for the last time I went to a Bill's road game. The last time you went to, yeah, the, the reason last time you ever will, right? No, <laughs> no, definitely not. The reason they didn't win a road game that I went to this past season is because I, you didn't, go or, to I one. didn't go to one <laughs> or lose. I meant to say, oh, gotcha. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, isn't it? But that, but that is one of the first things I noticed about a month into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There were no planes in the air. Because we live not the, far from the airport. The airport's like mm-hmm. five miles away. Mm-hmm. So like we any, see planes pretty frequently. Anytime I go out to smoke, basically, mm-hmm. and just look up, I'll see a plane or two right. within that five minute mm-hmm. span. And mm-hmm. you just stop seeing airplanes. It was yeah. the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. You can hear them sometimes, too. Yeah. And plus the... Uh, Fayetteville's not too far from us, so right, we'll, the, we'll get... the air... The base, army base. We'll get army helicopters that fly through here mm-hmm. here and there, and that mm-hmm. kind of went away, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah, it stopped for a while, so mm-hmm. it was kind of weird when it started back up again yeah. a little bit, yeah. Um, it's been very um, encouraging. I've seen several of our listeners have gotten to get the vaccine, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I actually, weirdly, am now... You're now on eligible. A, on a list, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of some volunteering I did and plan to do again in the future puts me in a quote frontline essential worker. And while it is reaching at best, I'm, I'm gonna be not super proud to just go ahead. And I asked, I was like, look, if I don't qualify and understand, and they were like, oh no, we put you on the list. I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to turn it down. I, I, because not just for myself, but for others, like knowing that. I will stand a lesser chance of passing it on to somebody else will make me feel better too. Hmm. So um, all I can say is if you can get it, just get it. Like, just don't worry about like, (laughs) just get it. Every single one of us who gets it is better for everybody. So, so yeah, damn. Uh, Hopefully. And the new Johnson and Johnson vaccine is one shot. And so there's that that's kind of in the pipeline. So if we can just get through. We're almost there, folks. Which, okay. I have a weird thing. Like, which would I rather get through first? Tax season? Pandemic? Honestly, tax season. (laughs) Tax season. I was going to say, I can can answer that for you. For humanity, I get it's different. (laughs) Totally get it's different. For me, I would prolong the pandemic another month if I could get me (laughs) done with tax season. That's how fucking horrible it is. For me personally, I wouldn't do it for reals, guys. Don't worry, I wouldn't torture you for another month just because of me. I would take the, I would fucking bear my cross. She would torture you for another month because of somebody else. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a fucking two weeks. The past two weeks have been well. Tonight the, uh, and I only watched bits and pieces because I kind of forgot the game was on. But tonight was the first game since last season that there were fans back in at PNC. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that yet. I would have been going if ticket prices were not through the roof, well, which they are. May I but, say, uh, I'm glad that ticket prices were through the roof because I wouldn't have been super happy with you for doing that. I know, but I would have been safe. Well, we'll, we'll discuss this <laughs> off air. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, hug an accountant. We're going through fucking shit right now. <laughs> We so need this your is, hugs and support. This is probably a good place to end it. It is. So that was TWA yes. Flight 800. By Leanne. By Leanne. Thank, thank you, Thank you Leanne. very much. So well done. And thank you for all of... Uh, you do a lot of posting and yeah, put our Leanne's, name out there. So. Leanne does a lot about... She, Leanne is... And I'm sorry, Leanne. I didn't ask your pronouns. Leanne is super... Like, she's interested in this stuff and then she's very... Sorry... Leanne is very interested in this stuff and then also very 
active about like this happened this day, this happened mm-hmm. this day. We felt like we should be doing that fucking shit. We're not doing that fucking shit. <laughs> so Leanne is like our ambassador yes. who, who's doing a brilliant job at it. One of our many and ambassadors. Yes. We love all of our listeners. Yes. Absolutely. Every single one of you. And, uh, whether you get, well, whether you contribute a script or not, but, um, thank you very much, Leanne. This was, this was very well done. Also, um, little message of condolence to Lee mm, yes. for the death of his, his baby, his, uh, sorry, his cat <laughs> baby to be clear, but still. Audie. Audie. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. sweet. Audie curled up next to him and didn't wake up. It's a great place to leave off. Oh, so- <laughs> no. Oh, that's a terrible place to leave off. Yeah. I was just trying to send condolences. <laughs> Don't do that. No, no, Don't do I'm, that to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Oh, no. The so, so once again, that mm. was TWA Flight 800. Courtesy of Liam. Yes. Mm-hmm. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I am myself. Taxis and Raquel. Yep. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>